In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Today we begin a five-week sermon series on the book of Revelation that will be our series in this season of Easter. We heard a gospel lesson just a minute ago that reminded us that as Jesus appeared before his disciples, he inspired them to go out and spread the good news, and that they did. In that first century, they spread that good news by planting churches all over the Mediterranean, all over the Roman Empire, and beyond. Revelation was written after many of those churches were planted as a means of communicating this deep truth and empowering the people in some specific churches to be strong and courageous and keep the faith. And over these next few weeks, we're going to unpack what Revelation really means for us today. Now, Revelation, I will start by saying Revelation was not written for us. Revelation was written for a specific group of churches in a specific part of the world by a nice guy named John. Let's talk a little bit about the target audience for Revelation. First, we need a little bit of historic context. Back before Jesus was born, in about 44 BC, Julius Caesar died. And when Julius Caesar died, a comet was seen streaking across the sky and Augustus, who became the emperor after Julius Caesar, said, aha, that is Caesar, and he is now gone to be with the gods. And that's very important, because if Caesar had gone to be with the gods, then Augustus, who was Caesar's son, then became what? The son of God. That's a really important idea for us because Jesus as the son of God was not out of context and disconnected. Jesus as the Son of God was within a particular kind of historic capacity, in a particular kind of historic context, that was really meant to challenge the claim that Rome had that their emperors were the Son of God. Now that worked pretty well for Augustus. See the comet, now he's the Son of God, that's great. But the problem was by the time Jesus' life had come and gone and Jesus had ascended, multiple Roman emperors had died. It's not entirely inspiring to be the son of God and also die. And so it became a problem for some of the Roman emperors to claim their right as the son of God, except that about 50 years after Jesus' life, in around 81, a Roman emperor came to power named Domitian. And Domitian decided that he was going to reclaim the mantle as being the son of God. So this is over a hundred years after Julius Caesar's death. Domitian comes into power and Domitian was ruthless. He was mean and he was evil. And he became the first Roman emperor to really begin to persecute Christians. And you see, the reason he decided to persecute the Christians is because of all the places in his empire, he could really force everyone to worship him as the son of God, except this annoying little group of people in Western Turkey, what would be Western Turkey today, particularly in the community of Ephesus. Those people in that community followed the God of Jesus, and they refused to worship Domitian. One historian actually wrote of Domitian. Domitian was the first Roman emperor to understand that behind the Christian movement stood an enigmatic figure who threatened the glory of the emperors. Domitian was the first emperor to declare war on Jesus. 
So let's now turn to Revelation. Revelation was a book that was written, as we just heard, to the seven churches in Asia. Those seven churches, including Ephesus, were in what is today Western Turkey. Those churches were likely connected in some ways, in some spiritual ways, sort of like churches in and around the same neighborhood might be connected with people who know each other, perhaps even relatives. And those churches were likely pastored by a man named John. John of Patmos wrote this letter to those churches. John of Patmos is, let me make clear, not John the Baptist, not John the Apostle, and not John the Evangelist who wrote the Gospel. There are lots of Johns that can be confusing. He's another John. And John of Patmos was really one of those people who stuck with a group of churches and pastored them in that first century. But you see, they lived in a very particular area of the Roman Empire that was important. It was where trade happened, and those communities were relatively wealthy because they were where trade went east and west. Those wealthy communities were part of the target of Domitian's power, and he forced himself upon them, making them worship in a particular way that gave him that authority as the Son of God. Now, what's interesting about the way that he would make people worship is because he took this very seriously, only the people who went to worship Domitian were given a particular mark that allowed them to trade in the marketplace to make money. Now, the early Christians believed that anyone who claimed to need worship of other people was actually working for the devil. And when those people would go and worship Domitian, they would receive the mark of the devil or the mark of the beast. And that mark would allow them to do what they were supposed to do to make money. Now, these early Christians struggled with this because they knew they weren't supposed to worship Domitian. They knew they were supposed to only worship the God of Jesus. But there were some groups of Christians in that area who encouraged other Christians to just do it. Domitian said he wanted to be worshipped. Just go through the motions, get your mark, be able to go to the marketplace and make your living. John encouraged his people and his church to resist. And therefore John was arrested and John was put on an island in the Grecian sea called Patmos. Think Alcatraz. He was arrested and he was sent over to this island of Patmos to die. And while he was there, he wrote a letter back to his churches saying, resist what Domitian is calling you to do because it's that kind of temptation that draws you away from the truth of God. Now, Revelation was written about a letter, was written as a letter to these churches. And he tells about a vision that is crazy. We're going to unpack all of this over the next few weeks. But this crazy vision that he has is really meant to communicate one big idea. <clears throat> so here's the summary of Revelation. Ready? God wins. Now you know. <laughs> Revelation tells this dramatic sci-fi style story just to simply say, God's going to win. But life's not going to be easy before that happens. You see, Domitian was a temptation that people had trouble resisting. <clears throat> and for us, we know what it's like to be tempted, 
Even 2,000 years later after this letter was written, we understand that our culture can tempt us away from the kind of life that God wants us to lead. It's very easy to be tempted to do a little thing here and a little thing there that's not quite what God might want for us. We can be tempted to do a little thing over here just to be a bit more successful. We can be tempted to dress a certain way because that's what everyone's doing. We can be seduced into collecting stuff and power and popularity and all of those things that the world says matters. When we know that God says we matter just as we are and we don't need any of those things in order to be loved. See, we're reading a letter 2,000 years old removed from everything that is modern about us, and we will still hear the same kind of stories that resonate. When we go out into the world and see that things are scary and uncertain, we see churches bombed in Sri Lanka on Easter, we see another shooting in a house of worship, our world can be scary. And we can begin to think that we have to do something else besides simply trust in God's goodness and sovereignty and power. We wonder whether God will win. And we have this letter written 2,000 years ago to people just like that. And John's vision says, do not be afraid or worry or be anxious or act in ways that take you away from God because even if things are dark now, God will win. For us in this life, one of the biggest struggles that we have is that God is no longer the primary actor in the way that we live our lives, which doesn't mean that we don't believe in God. But the biggest struggle for modern people is that God simply does not fall into our decision points most of the time. Most of the time, we do the things that we know to do, whether we think of God or not. And it's because we live with a freedom that allows us to worship God or not, to show up to church or not, whenever we want. And there is something about human nature that means for us, if we don't fight for something, we often take it for granted. One of the most interesting historical pieces to this story for me is that by the end of the first century, 20 plus years, after these Christians in Ephesus and these other seven churches were having to fight for what they believed in, scholars believe that more than 90% of everyone who lived in Ephesus had actually become Christian. What an amazing thing that put under such duress, put under such threat, the Christian gospel actually thrived. Now, Revelation, with all its convoluted language, is something that can continue to give us strength through its truth today, can give us strength and courage and grace to know that we are not alone, that when the world seems dark and scary, when things do not seem to be going our way, God never leaves us. In the end, Revelation tells us that we can do it, that God is both the beginning and the end, and that through God, everything will be made new. We don't have to bow down to the temptations of this world. We don't have to be bow down to the temptations to be thin or rich or smart or successful or anything that tells us that we are better than someone else. Know that we are loved as we are 
and that God wants to walk with us through every dark place. We have the strength and the grace and the courage, everything that we will ever need to face any fear that this world throws at us. We are part of a movement that began 2,000 years ago, part of a movement for which people gave their lives, part of a movement that inspired people, even in the face of death itself, to find the truth of God in Christ. So do not be afraid of taking the path of truth. Do not be afraid to take that truth because know you are not alone. Look around. We are not alone. No matter where you come from, what you have, what you can do, or how long you've been here, God wants you, and God wants you to travel together. Amen.